Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. Of course, this is John McAndrew, guest hosting today. And uh, our guest today is Dr. Alan Berger, and I've I have known Alan for quite some time. Uh, has seen I've seen his name. He's authored several books, and he's, he's a very popular recovery author and speaker. And uh, he's kind of known, uh, you know, mostly for integrating modern psychotherapy with the twelve steps, helping families adjust to the challenges of recovery, and uh, and helping patients understand the benefits of group therapy more. Dr. Berger is the author of Love Secrets Revealed, How to Get the Most Out of Group Therapy, Recovery and Relationship Matters, several other books, 12 Stupid Things That Mess Up Recovery, and 12 Smart Things to Do When the Booze and Drugs Are Gone. Uh, we're going to learn a lot more about Dr. Berger, but Alan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, John. It's, it's a pleasure to be here and an honor to be here. You have an interesting path uh, getting you here today, and... And I know you're here mostly to talk about your this new book, Twelve Hidden Rewards of Making Amends, Finding Forgiveness and Self-Respect by Working Steps 8 through 10. And it's powerful, uh, uh, practical tools and things and tips that you give. And uh, we have, uh, have had other people on the show talk about these topics, and I think it's very important that we, you know, elaborate on them and your years and years of experience I think really show in this but for our listeners that don't know you how did you get here <laughs> well my journey started back in 1971 uh, I just had come back from Vietnam I was in the United States Marine Corps I was serving outside of uh, Da Nang and when I went in the Marine Corps I, I had a very serious drinking problem I was a teenage alcoholic uh -huh. But during my time in the Marine Corps, I started using drugs other than alcohol. And, um, you know, it was this thing. They worked. I mean, they helped me experience a freedom from myself, John. And that's what really hooked me. And so I had a serious problem when I came back from Vietnam. I had experimented with just about every drug that was available to us in Vietnam, and there was quite a lot. Uh -huh. And I was very fortunate to be the third Marine admitted into this program that they started in the Marine Corps that that gave us impunity underneath the uh, Code of Military Justice, right? We weren't going to be prosecuted. Right. And instead, we were put into treatment. And so as the third Marine admitted on the third day that this program started, and in that program, uh, I came across an individual by a name. His name is Tom. And uh, he shared his story with us. He came in on a Tuesday night. They called it the Tuesday night drug rap session. And in fact, John, an interesting anecdote is that that Tuesday night meeting eventually became the first NA meeting in Hawaii. So oh, this pretty, is in Hawaii. Pretty, yeah, in, on the island of Oahu, and that's where my last duty station was at. So when Tom shared mm -hmm. that night, I was blown away. I had never experienced a man or person being so free from themselves. Uh -huh. The only time I got that kind of freedom was when I got uh, high or when I got drunk. And that started my journey. I was turned on to recovery that night. I wanted that. I really wanted that kind of freedom. I longed for it. I think that was a big reason 
that I drank and used was to have that freedom from myself. And here was somebody that was uh, a living example of having that freedom without without any chemicals. Uh huh. And what that year, really, what really, was really excited. What was the name of that program, Alan? It was the Drug Information Center. It was called the Drug uh, Drug Exemption Program for Marines, is what they called it. So it was uh, it it you know whoever put that together, I'm forever indebted to them because it saved my life. That that night, that was in um, the summer of 1971. So this last summer, I celebrated 42 years clean and sober. Wow. Well, that's Boy, I feel miracle. so old when I say that. Okay. <laughs> That's a miracle. So you came back to the States then, I assume, in 1971 or, or not? When That's correct. Back? I was back in the States. I was I was in Hawaii for my last duty station. Um, I was sent over there from North Carolina, and that was going to be my last year in the Marine Corps. I signed up when I went in in 1969. I went in for three years, and I spent 70 to 71 in Vietnam. Wow. So, so what did it feel story. like? So let me try to people? tie that up in some way. This is a, yeah. in in a way, it's related to what we're talking about about the the hidden rewards of making amends. So, just to tell you what's happened in my life and the full journey that I've taken, is that this January, I was a part of a four man delegation that was sent to Vietnam by SAMHSA, and it was called the Gift of Recovery. As it turns out, Vietnam has a very, very serious opiate problem. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a, over a quarter million drug users, and they're all a, most of them HIV users. I mean, IV users, and 60% of them have HIV, John. So they're spreading AIDS at an alarming rate. Oh, wow. And there just happens to be a program here in the United States, the President Emergency Response for AIDS Relief. Um, that is involved in Vietnam in trying to help stem the tide of this drug problem. So up to now, they've only got two solutions that they've been exploring in Vietnam. That's what they've had is a two-year hard labor camp that they put these addicts in and try to repatriatize them since Vietnam is a communist country. The other thing they're doing lately is drug replacement therapy, and they're putting them on methadone. So uh, Dr. David Powell wanted to offer them uh, exposure to what recovery, complete abstinence, would look like. So he approached three other um, servicemen that had um, been in Vietnam and that were now living their lives clean and sober and professionals to come over there and for us to share our story. So in January, I was able to fly into Hanoi, spend 11 days in Vietnam sharing my story, educating them about this disease of addiction, educating them about recovery, and also, John, making my amends for being there. Um, I really felt bad about my part of that war. I felt like it was something that we should have never participated in as a country. And But on a personal note, I didn't feel good about what I had done when I was over there and uh, my hand in the destruction and killing that took place. And so, you know, in front of like 500 medical students, I'm making my amends for being a part of the war. And it was so liberating for me, John. I mean, so many young people came up to me and said, you know, my dad died in the war. My mom was killed in the war. And what you just said has really helped me put that, uh, resolve that, those feelings about it. Thank you. Thank you. And we would stand there with tears in our eyes and uh, give each other a hug. So, Alan... 
In your book, and I don't want you to let it out right now, you talk about the circle of experience, but from 1971, that summer, you come back home, and now we've heard that in 2013 or whatever, you go back to Vietnam and make these amends. There's a whole lot that goes on in between, and I'm not asking you to fill in all the blanks, but I'm very curious about those first few years and how you ended up becoming a therapist, um, getting your Ph.D., and this, this journey that you're on, because we've had many people in recovery on the show talk about when they look in the rearview mirror and go, oh, my goodness, there was some sort of a plan. And it seems like chaos when you're going forward, but looking in the mirror, you have a very interesting path, <laughs> to say the least. So can you tell us a little bit about 1971 and those first few years back? Yeah, I know. I'd love to, John. And, yeah. and, and it really was an unfolding, right, that um, I would have had no idea going into it where I was heading. I mean, I was lost mm-hmm. at that point when AA found me. The first thing that happened is I got very turned on to recovery, and I went to Tom and I said, hey, uh, you know, how did that happen in your life? Where did you get this freedom? And he says, stick close and let's work the steps. And he was very much into the steps being the solution, and which is right on. I mean, the steps are an incredibly powerful design for daily living that, that gives us an emotional freedom that we've never had. So that was fantastic. So I did that. I stuck real close to him. Well, after about, I think I had about 60 days, John, this is a new program. It just started. Like I said, I was the third Marine admitted on the third day. Right. They had no idea what they were doing. They had no counselors. So because I had 60 days clean, I got invited to become one of the counselors. So at that point, it was the blind leading the blind. And sometimes I was a step ahead of some of the, some of the Marines I was counseling. Sometimes I was a couple steps behind. But what happened then, that was, this is the second thing that was really key in my recovery. I got turned on to helping people. I really saw that, boy, this could be my purpose in life, and I didn't have a purpose in life, and it was so important to start to, to find one and to discover one. So along with that came a desire now to become a counselor, which meant going back to school. Right. I was a high school dropout when I went in the Marine Corps. I went to one year of high school and hardly attended any classes during that year. So literally, I had no high school education to speak of. And I took my first college course after I was a counselor there at the Chaminade College of Hawaii, and it was in oceanography. And uh, Hawaii is a great place to take an oceanography class. <laughs> Wonderful. We were on the beaches testing the salinity of the water and going out to the dolphin research lab and watching the University of Hawaii work with dolphins. I mean, it was phenomenal. But what happened to me personally, and this is the third thing that happened, is now I got turned on to learning. And it awakened something in me, a desire, a, a, a hunger, a thirst for knowledge that now propelled me in the direction of going to school and returning to school, taking classes, because I had to make up for not having a high school education. I had to take basic English and basic math skills, and, mm-hmm. and I did all that. And in 1987, I graduated from the University of California, Davis, with a doctorate in clinical psychology. Wow. So what else years. was happening during that time is that, you know, mm-hmm. this counseling center I was at, we were as much getting as much therapy as we were offering. I guess that's the best way to say it. 
all the help we were giving, and people talk about this as, you know, in terms of sponsorship a lot. The sponsor gets as much help as the sponsee gets from the relationship. Well, that was true at the center that I was at, is we were growing tremendously. That's when I discovered the value of going to therapy. I went to a marathon weekend over in Hawaii, and it was led by this cool guy named Sasha from the University of Hawaii, an anthropologist. Now, in the 70s, when I was getting well, is that was a big part of the human potential movement, right? It was starting to peak in the 70s. And so they had these marathon groups, and it was pretty phenomenal. But I guess we're going to have a little break, and then we'll come back, and I'll share a little bit about that. Yeah, we, we've been talking to uh, Dr. Alan Berger, and we're going to get into his new book, 12 Hidden Rewards of Making Amends. And I think we'll learn a little more about Dr. Berger when we come back. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Make the most of your beautiful life. Listen to Ageless Living with Dr. Tong Lee and co-host Kurt Wilhelm to gain tips on how to live healthier and happier, alleviate suffering, prevent disease, become more beautiful in body, mind, and fashion, and find peace, balance, and success in your life. Are you aware that every 3,500 calories that you eat above what you burn will put a pound of fat on your body? And running one mile only burns 200 calories? So portion size does matter. And migraines do have a cure. What is it? You'll have to tune in Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. There are many who have faced life-changing adversity and have demonstrated the resiliency of the human spirit in spite of that. You'll hear these moving stories and learn about the impact of life's challenges when you tune into Inspire Journeys, Overcoming Adversity and Thriving with your host, Lisa Ferentz. You'll find meaning in some of the most difficult traumatic experiences. And by doing so, you can pay it forward and help others through their healing processes. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. Of course, this is John McAndrew. We've been talking with Dr. Alan Berger, and I want to, before we go any farther, give you uh, Dr. Berger is in private practice as well in Southern California, and you can go to his website, which is www.a, B is in boy, P is in Philadelphia, H is in heaven, D as in dip.com, which is basically alanbergerphd.com. And Alan, can, can people contact you on your website with questions and concerns? 
Yeah, the best way for them to do that, John, because I've had some trouble getting emails transferred out of my website. We're trying to figure that out now. But okay. they can just email me directly. Same same handle, abphd at msn.com. That's abphd at msn.com. And I always give out my phone number as soon as I can. I can usually respond with calls within 24 hours, but that's 818-584-4795. Very good, and we'll repeat that a little later in the show. We've been talking to Alan about 1971, getting out of the Marine Corps, uh, basically hitting a bottom, and this journey that he he uh, started in 1971, which culminated in, uh, first of all, you told us that you got your Ph.D. in 1987, was that right? That's correct, yeah. So um, lots of times we have people on that are in recovery, and it just amazes me when People like you tell their stories because I'm sure it looked like mass confusion to you, but there's a path that you're on. Mm-hmm. And you've been given, you have talents, uh, and you've been given the tools. So now you have a Ph.D., and I'm curious, when did you think that I I maybe should write something? Because you've written a bunch of books, mm-hmm. which have helped to take you into a whole different arena. Mm-hmm. And and they, I've heard people on the show say you can't give away what you don't have. So evidently, well, so, you felt you had a, something that you needed to write about. And when you know, what was your first book? Well, my first book was the book on love secrets revealed, and mm-hmm. that book was really a culmination, a reflection of the work I had done uh, with my dear mentor, who's now deceased. It was Dr. Walter Kempler. And Dr. Walter Kempler was a pioneer in the Gestalt therapy field, and we worked together from, boy, it was as soon as 1975 for the next 20-some years. Right. So I became very, very close with Walt. I became one of his international trainers. I went to uh, teach Gestalt experiential family therapy in Holland and in uh, um, Denmark and in Germany. So I had just some tremendous opportunities that Walter had given me and some unbelievable training in helping people find out how to be with each other in a way that was mutually beneficial. You know, Walt said that that every encounter in a family needs to be based on the following principle, that is victory for each at the expense of no one. And that's a pretty high-minded you know, principle to live by. But I'll tell you, John, when a family tries to function from that idea, it's amazing how it starts to unleash its growth and potential. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very, very fortunate to be trained by Walt. And so I wanted to try to put into language that the general public could relate to um, some of his ideas because they're so powerful. And so my first book, Love Secrets Revealed, was really dedicated to my time with Walter in sharing all that I had learned uh, with folks about that. So that book was written, and uh, that was the first one. Mm -hmm. What year was that? That was 2006, I believe it was published. Okay. So the book was successful in that it was very helpful to families. And I know we talk a lot on this show about evidence-based practices and the fact that family, family, family is so important in all all the aspects of recovery. 
So were those light bulbs going on in your head at this time, and did did well, Walt I, help I you had see seen that? that? See, I had worked with another very influential person, and the Navy program out on the West Coast really was a pioneer in this whole movement. And there was a specific individual by the name of Captain um, Joe Ziska. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, Captain Joe Persh took over the program. Most people know Joe Persh because of Mrs. Ford. He did the right. intervention on Betty Ford. But that whole program, all of those counselors ended up working in the private sector at a place called the Western Institute of Human Resources. So this is back in 1973 when I moved to California. The Western Institute of Human Resources was there. Its mission was to help the families that were going through the Navy program. Right. So we had one of the original family programs that included children. So I was hired back in 73 to work with the children and the families of alcoholics and addicts to try to help them on this path of recovery. And I did that with Dr. Judy Hollis. Dr. William Rader was the clinical director, and he was also a brilliant, brilliant clinician. So that's when I started to see the value of family. And then when Walter came into my life, which was a couple years later in 1975, I started to see exactly this, or I started to learn about what kind of skills I needed to to develop to be able to help these families, John. And the Gestalt experiential way of working is a very powerful way of working. And today, in fact, this last Saturday, I started a two-year training program. This is my third two-year training program out here in California that's teaching people the Gestalt experiential approach to therapy. Uh So the next book, and I know these pieces are all coming together. <laughs> you know, we're going to build up to your new book, but how, how to get the most out of group therapy. And I think, you know, in, in talking to us, and I'm sure our listeners are catching on, you're a very fortunate guy, Alan. You seem to just walk in to the most incredible places. And I, I happen to know a lot of people that you know that have been pioneers in this field. And... You just seem to be have the golden foot where you walk and end up. Do you, you ever have that feeling? Oh yeah, I am. I yeah, feel I know so you blessed, do. John. I mean, the gifts that have been given to me and the knowledge that has been shared, and that was the inspiration in writing Love Secrets Revealed to share to give some of this back to other people to help families learn about these incredible principles that Dr. Kempler was teaching. Mm-hmm. So that, that how to get the most out of group therapy was in that same line. See, I always felt that psychology was at its best when it was turned over to the people that needed it the most. Mm-hmm. So that was those patients coming into treatment. And I always believed that instead of faulting someone for not being a good patient, before we did that, we had to teach them what it meant to get into a group and to, to take advantage of the group and use the group. So I really believe that if a pamphlet, and that's what how to get the most group therapy was, could be developed that would educate patients about what happens in group, what are the benefits you could expect, and what are the ways that you can take advantage of the group process for your growth and for your recovery. So that's the spirit that that pamphlet was written. And it went through a nice edit in 1991. It's been around for a long time. It's probably sold over 70,000 copies to date. And it's very helpful. A lot of programs are still using that to help their new patients understand the process of group therapy and how to get the most out of it. So 
And I'm going to step, I'm going to take, you know, we're going to walk into this new book, because I think this is a really nice time to do that. With your uh, 12-step foundation, if it's fair to say, and all this education you're getting on the side, the new book, 12 Hidden Rewards of Making Amends, and it talks about steps 8, 9, and 10. And I found it very interesting that the book starts, basically part one is called Unpacking the Therapeutic Value of the First Ten Steps and some reflections on working them. This is what I'm curious about because you're a Ph.D., you're a doctor, you're a scientist, you're all sorts of stuff, and then you're a person in recovery. So uh, when we interview guests, I always get this feeling that the people in recovery are the spiritual ones, you know, and the doctors are the scientists. But somehow or another, you're like one of these candy bars that got peanut butter slammed into it. (laughs) And became a, a sort of a different <laughs> a animal. Peanut butter cup. I like that. Well, I'll yeah, I couldn't I love want to give a plug to those people. Uh, I'm diabetic and I can't eat them. But so the therapeutic value of those ten steps. So how did you come to the idea of writing this new book, The Twelve Hidden Rewards of Making Amends? Well, one of the things that always um, kind of tweaked my curiosity is I went through such a powerful transformation. I was curious about what were some of the psychological principles that were operating in the steps that created this change in my life. So I was very fortunate. Every chance I had in school to study change, understand the process of change, I tried to do that by relating it to my experience in the steps. So through the years, this whole integrating modern psychology, psychotherapy with this 12 steps has been evolving. So for about the last 20 years, I've been really putting these ideas out there because I think it's so important. See, unfortunately, John, there's a pretty big, you know, split. There's a pretty big chasm between the mental health profession and the 12-step recovery community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the mental health profession looks at AA pretty skeptically, you know, what's going on there. They talk about God. Is it religious? Is it a cult? All those kinds of things. And it's also true that AA looks at the mental health profession kind of skeptically. You know, do these people accept that, that we have a disease? Can they understand that, that, you know, we're like men and women who've lost our legs. We're never going to grow new ones. We need to be abstinent, you know, based in our lives and stuff like that. So there's right, right. suspiciousness on both sides, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I felt that that's been very unfortunate because I think that mental health counselors, if they were treating people in recovery, would learn so much about the process of recovery. And likewise, through my whole recovery, being in therapy and going to therapy has been very helpful. And we can talk about that more when we come back about just how I've integrated that in my life and how I've wanted to share that. Thank you. uh, We've been talking with Alan Berger, and uh, this is one hour at a time, and we'll be back in just a moment. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Why do people behave the way they do? The study of human behavior is one of the most interesting facets of life. Human behavior gets played out in a limitless number of ways. Now, there's a radio program that explains the why and the how of what we do. Human Behavior, What a Trip, is hosted by Dr. Jonathan Brower and will include interesting guests as well as call interaction from people like you. Let's have fun with this together. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Uh, My name is John McAndrew. We've been talking to Alan Berger about his old books, and we've just started to talk about his new book, 12 Hidden Rewards of Making Amends, Finding Forgiveness and Self-Respect by Working Steps 8 through 10. And we just ended in the last section, uh, Dr. Berger talking about being a doctor and a scientist, also a person in recovery, which he shared. And melding these two things together, we don't necessarily have to separate the two. They're not oil and water. And... um, when I read his new book, I was struck by the by part one, Alan, you know, unpacking the therapeutic value of those first 10 steps. So let's continue where we left off. Yeah, so as I was sharing just before the break, John, that, that for me, while the 12 steps were a foundation in my life, there were certain things that I needed to deal with emotionally. And I'll just share a quick anecdote about that. So this is right after I'm now a counselor at the drug center in Hawaii, and we're going to this weekend marathon uh, with this uh, facilitator by the name of Sasha. What he does year a is this real again? interesting little exercise. He just says, I want everybody to close their eyes. I want you to think of somebody you need to say goodbye to. Well, my dad died when I was 11 years old in 1963, just before I turned 12. And I never dealt with my feelings about that. I shut down. I froze inside after his death. I just didn't want to feel anything because I was so devastated. I mean, at his uh, at his funeral, I'm sitting out in the funeral power, 
parlor and I'm reading a Spider-Man comic. And I've just lost the man that means the world to me. So in this exercise, of course, the first person I think of is my dad, uh, Alvin Jerome Berger. So he throws a pillow in front of me. He says, okay, start to talk to your dad. Say goodbye to him. Well, all of those feelings that I had been repressing and suppressing just now broke free. It's like a dam broke inside of me. Yeah. And I was sobbing, John, and at other points I was screaming, mad at him. Then I'd get mad at God for taking him and then mad at my mom. I mean, there were so many different aspects to my grief experience that I had not experienced that were now being revealed to me. Wow. Well, at the end of this, and it went on for hours, at the end of this, I was, I think I finished doing a little piece of work laying on the floor and throwing a temper tantrum or something, because we were in one of those padded rooms for these marathon weekends, right? We had bean bags in, in rooms that were padded with the foam, you know? Stuff and back, uh, right? at the end of it, he said, open your eyes, and I opened my eyes, and I felt so, so purged. I felt so alive. Everything was so acute. My senses were just tingling. I mean, see, one of the things that happened is I didn't know how and didn't want to deal with the pain and the feelings I had. So I deadened myself. I shut myself down. And that's why when I drank, I felt alive because I couldn't feel alive at any other point in my life. Now, here in therapy, I'm starting to have this experience that if I have a better relationship with myself, one that's much more respectful and and honors my experience that I can actually deal with these things and become alive again, that I can start to have a fully a full experience in my life. And that turned me on to therapy. So that was the other thing, right? So I got turned on to recovery, got turned on to helping people, got turned on to education, and then I got turned on to therapy. And those four things were the pillars to my to my story and to my life. So when I saw that, I wanted to go back and look at the steps and say, well, what's happening in these steps? What's going on? And so I hope if the one thing I'm remembered for um, – is being a is a good dad and a good partner, and you know I want that first. But I also hope that people will remember and start to think about the therapeutic value of the steps because they're incredibly powerful, John. The wisdom that uh, underlies the steps and what happens, and we can go through a few of these if you like in terms yeah. of what is the force that starts operating when you work step one, because that's what happens. There's this, there's this whole powerful force that develops that just propels you from one step to the next step, and it's creating the very change we need in order to establish and to maintain our recovery. Mm-hmm. So step one is, tell, you know, tell us, uh, you know, chapter three is about the first three steps. That's right. Unpacking the values of that. And it's obvious when I read this, you, you would not have had the experience you had therapeutically had you not gone through these first three steps. That's so true, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So true, yeah. This first step is we admit it, we were powerless over alcohol, yeah. and our lives had become unmanageable. What I say the therapeutic effect of this step is is that it shatters our illusion of control, it undermines our reliance on our false self, and induces what a very, very critical thing that I call the existential crisis. So let me unpack that really quick in terms of telling everybody, what is this illusion of control? 
Well, nobody wants to admit that they can't control anything. Our society is about having control. It's about having more. And nobody wants to admit that they have limitations. It's almost like if you have a limitation, you feel shame in our society because it's a can-do society. But if you have this disease, which we know now is a brain disease, something changes in our brain when we're an addict and an alcoholic. It's like a switch has been thrown, as Dr. Volkow from the uh, NIDA, National Institute of Drug Abuse, says. A little switch gets thrown, and once that switch is thrown, we are never going to be able to control our use of alcohol and other drugs. Now, that doesn't mean we lose control all the time. I didn't. But I could never predict when I was going to be in control or when I was going to be out of control. So the first thing we have to do is to get our heads wrapped around, I am bodily and mentally different from my fellows. And that's a very, very difficult thing for a lot of people because people interpret that in a very shameful way and they think that being different is bad and being different makes me weird and stuff like that. So for some reason in our mind, it subtracts from us instead of it adds to us. Well, that is important to get turned around because for me, accepting myself as I am is adding to my life, not subtracting. And I don't need to be everything to be okay. In fact, now I'm learning I need to be myself to be okay, which is a very different experience in life. So that's the first part. The second part of this is this shattering our, our reliance on our false self. You know, I really believe that early on in life that we came up with a decision to become a self that we weren't to be okay. See, all of us want to belong, John. We want love. We want acceptance. And early on in life, we get very anxious that we're not going to get that. I can remember those feelings about not belonging so early in my life and the anxiety that that created. Oh, yeah. And and I'm talking about this is way back when, like when we're two, three, four years old. I mean, I remember just not feeling like I fit in. And I became anxious about that. And I believe what happens is, is our anxiety gets us to start to search for a solution. This yeah. Dr. Karen Horney, which I talk about a lot, and I quote her a lot in this book, as well as quoting a lot of other therapists. But she says that it's the search for glory. We want to come up with that way of being that's going to get everybody to love us, that's going to get everybody to like us, that's going to make us feel accepted and make us feel belong, like we belong. And that becomes a problem because we, what we are doing is we are rejecting ourselves in order to find a solution to make life work. And life can never work when it's based on that kind of self-rejection, self-abandonment. Right. So the value of one through three, just briefly, let's unpack you have in Chapter 4, steps 4 through 7. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big box, isn't it? It's a big box. So let let me just finish with one, two, and three. So what happens is when we get this, this, when we can't rely on our false self, when we are disillusion that we can control our drinking or using gets shattered, we're left with what do we do, right? right? That's the existential crisis, John, is we are left in that place where I can't go back to doing what I've been doing, but I don't have anything new. That creates an existential crisis. That existential crisis sets us up for what happens in step two, and that's hope, that there is a solution, right? came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, that there is a way out of this madness, this mess that we've created in our life. 
And then step three comes along. It's making that decision, right, to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand Him. That's about making a commitment. So you see, the first three steps create an amazing foundation in our life that we're seeking something that we've never sought before. We're seeking to find a, this true self. We're seeking to find a power that's greater than our false self, you know, a God of our understanding. Mm-hmm. And we're making a commitment to this new way of life. And now, as you said, now we get into the other steps, right? To steps four and five and six and seven, um, and then steps eight, nine, and ten. But that's a powerful thing because this commitment now that we've made in the first three steps, we're being told now you've got to take that commitment and put it into action. Right. Because making a commitment without any action is not going to make any changes in your life. Right. So how do we make sure we get propelled? You know, how do people do that? I Yeah, that's a big question, isn't it? That's why the first step becomes such an important one. I mean, I really knew deep down in my soul that there was no question that I had lost control of using. I was able to be honest enough with myself to see that with the help of my sponsor who pointed out to me, you know, we sat down one night and we went through my whole using my drinking and using history and it was so clear how where I had lost control and how out of control I had been. That was the beginning of it, but then I started to even look beyond that and see how unmanageable my life had become. You know, everything I touched had the opposite to the Midas touch to it, right? Everything was a disaster. Everything that I tried to make happen, it turned out to be the opposite. It turned into a complete utter failure. And that's all I felt. I felt like such a failure in my life. So that's, for me, what started to propel me is is the pain of not being able to find the path that I thought I had found. Yeah. Not being able to find the solution that I had thought I had found. The solution I came up with was creating more problems than it was solving. Yeah. And I was in desperate need for something better than that. And that's really what you've talked about in this book, and I find this very important, is our true self. I've heard people say being able to live in our own skin, wearing life like a loose jacket. It's yeah. all that same um, being realistic about this vision that we have of ourselves. I mean, you know, I wanted to be Pope, you know. <laughs> nothing less. Pope John. I like that. You know, that. something big. Something big. <laughs> that's right. So we See, take that's what, our that's lives what that glorification this... did, wasn't it? It was so funny, isn't it? Yeah, that, yeah. That when we search for glory, we, we were so grandiose sometimes in, in our solution. Yeah, so we take, you know, we take our lives out of this projector and we, and we start to go inside and see... This whole first part of the book is is really valuable, and I I encourage listeners, you know, to buy it for this reason, among others. You know, unpacking the therapeutic values of these steps. And then part two is really about the hidden rewards uh, of making amends. And when we come back, we'll probably talk a little more about uh, authenticity and compassion and forgiveness, but... uh, and the first part, first chapter, is staying in close contact with our experience. And we've been talking with Alan Berger, and we're in deep now. You can't go. Uh, and we come back, we're going to talk about really the meat of the book, the eight and nine steps. And also, I want to talk to you, Alan, about your experience in Vietnam when we close our program today. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere.
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to our final segment, and this has been really good uh, for me today. I hope you all listeners feel the same way. We've been talking to Alan Berger, and we've been uh, kind of knee-deep in his new book, 12 Hidden Rewards of Making Amends, Finding Forgiveness and Self-Respect by Working Steps 8 through 10. I want to give Alan's website again, which is www.abphd.com. That's alanbergerphd.com. Also, uh, same letters, www.abphd.msn.com. And, uh, Alan, you gave your phone number, right, mm-hmm. at 818-584-4795, and people can call that number and get in touch with you. That's correct, John. And, and yeah. just the email is, is abphd at msn.com. Don't put the www in front of it. You won't be able to get to me. There you go. So just Thank abphd you. at msn.com. And where can we get your book? Well, listen, this is right? the exciting thing. is The Hazleton Bookstore uh, on, online, 
uh, is one place to get them. You can also get them on Amazon. But if you do order through Hazleton and you order all three books, they have a promo that's going on through the end of the year in uh, celebrating the release of my new book. And you'll get 20% off all three books, which is a great buy. So you would just type in Burger 20 for the promo code if you purchase these on uh, Hazleton. But 12 uh, Hidden Rewards is available on Amazon. Uh, it's also uh, in Kindle format, so you can get it either as a, as a book or as a Kindle book. Very good. So I hope you've all written that stuff down. We have a limited amount of time, and I, I really want to get into you know, the rewards of making these amends. And I, and I want, Alan, for you to share again a little more in depth at the end of this segment about your trip back to Vietnam because it really brings all this 42 years of your journey sort of back to the beginning. And it's a very, very powerful evidence of everything you talk about in the book. And chapter, the first part of the new book is about unpacking the therapeutic values of these steps. Um, part two are the hidden rewards of making amends. So let's kind of pick up there. Well, let's, you know, steps eight, nine, and ten are, especially steps eight and nine, are so challenging, John, right? Because we're facing <laughs> the worst of ourselves. And what I tell my readers all the time, and what I want to mention to your listeners, is that only the best in you can face the worst in you. And if we keep that in mind, it helps. So that when I'm being honest with myself and I'm facing something about myself that, I, that even disgusts me, right? Right. That's the best in me seeing it because only when I see that and take responsibility can I change it. See, there's a paradoxical theory of that change that says people don't change by trying to be someone they're not. You change when you own who you are. So I can't become honest until I admit I'm a liar. And the admitting I'm a liar, now honesty becomes a possibility. Uh -huh. Well, that's what's happening so magically, if you will, in steps eight and nine, is we make a list of the people we've harmed, we become willing to make amends to them, and then we go make amends to them, unless doing so is going to injure them, right? Well, these two steps, everybody says, are the most difficult steps to work. But they also have the greatest benefit. All right, we talk about the promises, right? The nine-step right. promises. But some of the 12 hidden rewards, the first one I talk about is that we stay in close contact, right, with our experience. Now, why is that so important? Well, the truth of it is, is that we didn't want to stay in close contact with our experience before. The one right. thing that stands out when I've searched the literature about is there an alcoholic or an addict personality, and the results of that search is, is unanimously there isn't any. There isn't one person. Introverts become alcoholics and addicts, so do extroverts, right? Internal locus of control, external locus of control. Doesn't matter, right? This is an equal opportunity destroyer, as we say. Right. But what does stand out, and this is very curious, is that alcoholics and addicts do not learn from their experience. <laughs> yeah. What do we say, you know, or I've heard in the program many times, you know, we do the same thing, and the way that we usually say it is expecting different results. I've changed that a little bit. I say we do the same thing, not expecting different results. We expect better results, right? We right. expect things are going to work out better this time, and they never do because we haven't learned from our experience. Well, now what's happening in the program in recovering our true self, which is 
really the ultimate therapeutic value of the steps, we start to be able to learn from our experience. We learn from our experience by staying in close contact. When I stay in touch with how I feel about what I've done to someone else and I feel the pain over that, that's going to teach me something about myself. It's going to teach me something about how I look at relationships and what's important in me. But when I run away from pain, which most of us have done, right? Us addicts and alcoholics, we don't like pain. That's another reason we use, right? To blot out our pain, to numb ourselves. But when I stay in close contact with my pain, I'm able to learn from it. I'm able to learn some very, very important lessons. And so that's what I say is one of the hidden rewards is that when we stay in close contact with ourselves, we actually start to grow up, John. We actually start to mature in ways that we haven't matured up to this point. And become authentic, right? Which is... Well, that's the bottom line, right? Isn't authenticity yeah. a part of this whole thing? I mean, becoming our authentic self, our true self, is, is right on. That's a big part. That's the second hidden reward I talk about. I say all the time that one of the things that totally inspired me about Tom when I told you that story, when I met him in 1971, right. was this man's authenticity. And he had that because he had worked the steps. He didn't need to be someone he wasn't. He was able to talk about and be himself, his actual self, and to share that with us openly and honestly. And so that's the other thing that happens is as we work these steps, we realize is that we don't need to put up a facade. We don't need to live up to some kind of an image that our false self told us that we had to be, that who you are is good enough. And isn't that a very different message than all of us, you know, believed in our whole lives? We were never enough. We were never good enough. Yep. So these are incredibly powerful things that are happening as we stay pressed up against our experience, as we stay close. And then the next, the third hidden reward that we get into is this compassion and forgiveness. And that's what it's all about, John, is for me to, to have compassion for myself and for others. If I don't develop compassion for myself, I'm not going to be able to have compassion for others and to be able to forgive myself and to forgive others for transgressions. And that comes from not taking things so personally right. and be able to see things as they are, not as I think they are. Yeah. There are many, many rewards. Um, you know, being of value and learning to self-soothe and regulate our emotions. Tell me a little bit about the hidden reward number eight, because learning to self-soothe and regulate our emotions, how is that a reward? Well, instead of trying to get everybody to do it for us, see, that's one of the things I've realized in my journey, is that because I didn't know how to self-soothe, I didn't know how to take care of myself, I expected you to do it for me. So I came up with a whole set of rules about what you're supposed to do to make me feel okay. And, um, and look, that yeah. doesn't work. I need to learn how to regulate myself, not regulate you to be okay. And Alan, so this self-soothing is, is just paying attention to your experience and being able to respond to your own needs. Alan, we, uh, we really appreciate it, all the folks here at the show, you coming on, telling us about your book, The Twelve Hidden Rewards. I think we'll have to have you on again to tell us about your experience going to Vietnam, um, taking all this full circle, and you've shared 42 years of your life with us. Well, really your whole life. 
and uh, you must be at least 100 years old. <laughs> Sometimes and, uh, I feel that way. <laughs> uh, you know, listeners, please go out and pick this up and, and, and put it in the palm of your hand and, and use these tools. And again, Dr. Berger, thank you very much for being on the show. Well, John, and thank you for having me, and I appreciate being able to share this with you. All right. We hope to uh, I'll be on next week sometime, folks. See you then. you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.